You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. The late minister, Robert Farrar Capone, said the Reformation was a time when people went blind, staggering drunk because they had discovered in the dusty basement of late medievalism a whole cellar full of 1,500-year-old, 200-proof grace, bottle after bottle of pure, desolate scripture that would convince anyone that God saves us single-handedly. The Bible is a message of God's grace from beginning to end, and the Epistle of Romans is one of those letters that makes the gospel of grace explicitly clear. Drinking 200-proof alcohol would wreck you and could even kill you, Drinking from the fountain of grace we read about in Romans will do the same thing. The 200-proof, pure, free, unfiltered gospel of grace that takes you right where you are will put our life of sin and rebellion to death while bringing forth a new man, unbound, unchained, to live a truly free and transformed life under a perfect king. Martin Luther said, Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the purest gospel. He said that every Christian should not only know it word for word, by heart, but also that they should occupy themselves with it every day as the bread of the soul. John Calvin stated about Romans, If we understand this epistle, we have a passage open to us to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. Taste and experience the power of God for salvation for all who believe. The 200-proof strength of the Gospel in Romans. Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. It's good to be back. I was out last week from an accident I sustained doing parkour, and that's all I'm going to say about it. We're moving on. And I want to state this. If you're not familiar with parkour, it's where you try to jump off benches and stuff like that. So you can look it up if you'd like later. So real quick, just as an addition to the announcements, man camp is coming later on after the women's retreat. Men do not share beds. So that will not be a prerequisite or requirement for men. Also, if you're a woman... It was made clear to me that we do have single beds available. So if that was a deterrent for you, you don't want to share a bed, I understand. There's single beds available. So there you go. With that, we're going to dive in this morning after just quick announcement. So if you guys would be in prayer for, I was just talking with Courtney. Her and Corey are getting ready to have twins. They're due anytime within three weeks. So you guys can be in prayer for them. And I know we've had some other people that have had babies recently and there's meal trains going around. So if you want to know how you can help out, you can always bless one of these families with some meal trains. So Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we're not left to figure out what you've said and how you've communicated, but you've communicated to us clearly through your word. And your word has made the message of the gospel clear. That as we just watched and listened from beginning to end, it's a message of grace. It's a message of not something we earn. It's not something that we merit. It's not something that we work hard for. It's something freely given by your grace through faith in your son. We thank you for the clarity of scripture in and around that message. This morning, speak to us where our hearts have strayed into trying to justify ourselves, prove ourselves, where we've become self-righteous. Father, where we have wandered into sin and rebellion against you, convict us, challenge us, exhort us, and encourage us. Thank you for your living words. Speak to us this morning. Let us listen with attentive ears, not for the person to our left and right, not for the person at home or the person we know. Let us listen to what you have for us as a church family from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Our main point this morning is going to be, but now, outside justification and free righteousness. I'll say it again. But now, outside justification and free righteousness. So turn to Romans 3. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Romans chapter 3. And I'll just tell you guys, there is so much here in Romans chapter 3. And it's just a beautiful chunk of scripture that I feel the weight of preaching it faithfully and accurately, but there's so much here that I could preach five sermons off of this section of scripture. And so hang in there with me as we dive into it this morning. Romans 3, 21 through 31. I'll read it and then we'll dive in. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. I would state this. I want so desperately to convince everyone in this room and and everyone in society that we're all looking to justify ourselves. We're all looking for a way to self-justify ourselves. So what does worldly justification look like? It's declaring our worth and existence through what we do. Make, Make sure you have that. In society, we want so desperately to justify ourselves. So how do we do that? Through declaring our worth and existence through what we do through our performance, through our behavior, through things like that. And I also know this, we as a society and as a people are stubborn to self-justify ourselves. So we find every possible way that we can try to self-justify ourselves. For instance, probably about a year or so ago, we got up early as a family to head to the airport and we were flying out. My wife, and and this is not picking on her in any sort of way, this is going to show how stupid I am. So my wife placed a bowl of yogurt on the dash. And our friend Renee came over to drive us to the airport and bring our car back home. And so I like to do this thing that I learned from my wife. When I back up, I hit the side door panel and then hit the brake. So it it feels like, and sounds like we just hit something, right? You might ask where I learned that from. My wife taught it to me. And so I did her trick backed up. And when I did it, the yogurt went all over her. I think she might've had coffee too. Was there coffee? Might've been coffee all over. Anyways, Guess what my first inclination was to do in that moment? To self-justify myself. But I didn't because she was crying, and so I held back. But what I wanted to say, this is honest, what I wanted to say is, you taught me this trick, and you shouldn't have had your yogurt on the dash. That's what I wanted to say. But the truth is, is that someone of my age probably shouldn't be doing tricks like that on the way to the airport early in the morning to my wife. That's what I did. But but my first inclination was self-justification. Here's why I did what I did and why it's okay. And we see this in society. And I'll say this, the breakdown that we see in society and what breaks down societal fabric is our desire to self-justify ourselves constantly over and over and over again. 
Think about marital stuff. When, when, when our spouse comes to us and brings something to us, our, our, our inclination is this. We all have incredible defense lawyers that live inside of us. And we rise to our own defense and say, well, here's what I did, why I did. And so we'll use things like, well, it was a hard day at work. That's why I'm being a jerk right now. That's a self-justification. Well, it's a certain type of the month. Please don't punch me, ladies. I'm just saying, like, there's things that we use. It's a self-justification. Parents, kids, our kids come to us. We yell. We freak out. We explain why we yelled. It's because of something that they did to justify our own behavior. We're even doing this with sin. We call it white lies. Well, I, I told a lie, but it was a, it was a white lie. It's kind of, it's not so bad. Sure, I'm addicted to porn, but it's soft porn, whatever that is. So we have ways that we like to soften things to self-justify ourselves because we need to prove at the end of the day that we're pretty good people. So when Paul opens up by saying, but now, he's saying, but now because of what has followed from what he previously said. What did Paul previously say? Let's look real quick. Back in chapter three, verse nine, he said this. What then? Paul was a Jewish man. He's saying, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged... So in in the previous chapters, he's already said this. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, You might say that, but the Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible says is if you keep going on, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So when your friends say, and if you're here this, uh, visiting this morning, maybe you've said this, that all religions are the same, that it's just about being a good person. What we're saying is that's not the message of the Bible. The Bible says there isn't a good person. There isn't a single righteous person. No, not one. In fact, it says this in chapter three, verse 20, right before we open up in 21, it says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So your best work, your best effort, your best obedience is not going to measure up to God's righteous and holy standard. That's where we start off. And so when Paul says, but now, he's saying for the first time in human history, there's something amazing that is being presented. But now there's this cosmic solution to a cosmic problem of the problem of sin. What is it? Let's look and see. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, he says, the Old Testament bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But now there's an outside justification and there's a free righteousness. But now there's something different. Again, people love to say all religion is the same. Now, if what you mean by that is all religion is about being a good person, then I will say in that sense, yes, all religion is a self-man-made attempt to try to merit our righteousness before God, to try to merit our righteousness before other people, to try to prove ourselves to be justified. Yes. But Christianity is fundamentally different than that because it's not a religion. It's not a man-made attempt. In fact, the first thing you have to realize is that any attempt is an obstruction and something that nullifies the message of grace. You have to start there. You have to understand that. Otherwise, you'll miss it. Because, but now there's an outside justification and an outside righteousness. You see, this would have been something difficult for Roman citizens to grasp. Roman citizens, it was all about being strong. It was all about being powerful. And it was all about your citizenship to Rome. That's how they identify themselves. You don't present yourself in any sort of weakness. 
it would have been a message that was absurd then like it is now because everyone wants so bad to justify ourselves and prove ourselves to be justified before others and before God. There's a pastor from the 20th century. His name is Dick Lucas, and I love what he says. He's a guy who's shaped much preaching theology. He's an Anglican minister, and he says this. This was a, this was a conversation that he created between an early Christian and a Roman neighbor, what, what the conversation would have looked like. If you can read along with me. Ah, oh, the neighbor says, I hear you are religious. Great. Religion is a good thing. Where's your temple or holy place? We don't have a temple, replies a Christian. Jesus is our temple. No temple, but where do your priests work and do the ritual? Uh, we don't have priests to mediate the presence of God, replies a Christian. Jesus is our priest. No priests, but where do you offer your sacrifices to acquire the favor of your God? We don't need a sacrifice, replies a Christian. Jesus is our sacrifice. What kind of religion is this, sputters the pagan neighbor? And the answer is, it's no kind of religion at all. See, but now there's an outside justification and free righteousness, which goes against everything that society said back then and says right now, work hard, perform, achieve something, and then you get to Christianity. And I will say, as Christians who are saved by grace through faith in Christ, we should be hard workers. But if you bring that philosophy and that theology into Christianity, again, it's not the message of the gospel. It's not the message of the Bible. That's why it's so hard for us to get our minds and our hearts wrapped around to and surrender to it. So when Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, what is he saying? Saying this, you see, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets showed us God's righteous standard and way to live, but no one could live that way. And so something has been manifested, something appeared. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. And then it says this, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Did you hear that? God's righteousness, God's perfection, God's holiness, that level of righteousness is given to you through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So again, the law and the prophets say, this is how you are called to live. Now something has come, but now an outside justification, an outside righteousness, a free righteousness, it says, you're given this through faith for those of you who believe. We go on to read And what Paul has been unpacking in chapters one and two, and even part of three is this, just what we started off with. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one good, no, not one, but now. And what Paul is saying, but now let me lay out for you. Let me explain what the Christian message is and what it's all about. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to unpack the gospel. The gospel is good news. He's going to tell us what the good news is, starting in verse 23. Look here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's start there. Not for some, but for all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's good. In a sense, that's good news for all of us. We all fell short. We all fall short. There's not some, there's not categories. Every single human person in human history has fallen short besides Jesus Christ. And look here, are justified. There's our word. By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Let's unpack that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? Here's what Paul is saying. Is that since all have fallen short and all have sinned and no one has measured up, God provided a way. You see, justification, not from a worldly standpoint, but it's a doctrine in, in Christianity. It's, it's a beautiful doctrine. This is what the doctrine of justification is. And you need to hear this. Because I want you to get this right. 
Justification is your legal declaration of righteousness before God. Your legal declaration of righteousness before God. There's many people that believe that justification is simply God forgiving you of your sins. But here's what you need to understand. It's, it, it's not just that. Since we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that puts us in a negative stance. Now, if God forgave us, that would put us in a morally neutral stance. You see, forgiveness could say, hey, you're free to go. But that's not what justification is. It's your legal stance before God as righteous, which means this, that all of the righteousness and all of the obedience that Christ lived out for you in this life on this earth is then given to you as though you lived that exact same life. That's called positive righteousness. So hear that. You're not in a negative stance. You're not in a morally neutral stance that says you're forgiven, now go free. You're in a positive righteous stance that's freely given to you that says you're completely righteous, now come. Hear that. It's not you're forgiven, now go. It's you're made righteous, now come and enjoy the presence of a holy God. How is that made possible? It says right here, we're justified by his grace as a gift. That justification, that legally declared righteousness that is given to us, all the positive side of who Christ was is imputed to us. How? God freely gives it. Yeah, there's got to be something. Nope. What about? Nope. It's freely given as a gift by God and by his grace. And then it says this, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? What does redemption mean? What it means is that we had a legal debt before God because of our sin. Ian was talking about the mercy seat. He was talking about blood. If we actually read in Leviticus 25, 25, it says this, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer, his goel, that's the Hebrew word, shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. That was a law that your brother would step in and, and, and redeem you from the debt you're in. Ultimately, Christ is our redeemer who steps in our great goel and redeems us from the debt that stood against us to get a holy and righteous God. And then it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Some translations will say expiation. It's just not a great translation. It needs to be propitiation. Here's why. Expiation is about the removal of sin, but it's not just that. When, when, when the priest would spread the blood on the mercy seat, it wasn't God's just removal of sin. It was God's holy wrath coming down on sin. When Christ went to the cross in that moment, God's righteous and holy wrath was poured out on Christ. You see, Christ was dealt what we should have been dealt. Christ took what we should have taken, the life of a sinner. But then we took what Christ should have been taken, and we were dealt what Christ should have been dealt. The righteous, holy approval of God. In other words, Christ became on the cross what we are, a sinful human. And then through faith in him, we become what he was in all of his life, righteous, holy, perfectly obedient. How again? It's an outside justification. God's doing it. It's a free righteousness by God's grace as a gift, as a gift. Look at what the Heidelberg catechism says in question 60 of the Heidelberg catechism. It says this, how are you righteous before God? Good, good question to ask. In a society that loves to self-justify ourselves, how are we righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, 
out of mere grace imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin and as if myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. You see, the good news of the gospel is Christ lived that life, took it to the cross, and then offered his life as a sacrifice. The blood that flowed, as we sing, out of his veins is the most precious substance that has ever hit the soil of this earth because it is the only substance and it's the only blood that can wash us, that can cleanse us, that can purify us, and that makes us righteous before a holy God. And some people go, I I don't like, I don't like the thought of God being wrathful. I don't like the thought of God judging sin. Imagine this. This is a made-up story. Imagine that we hear a story of a man standing trial. This man has broken into someone's home, killed the husband, killed the kids, and left a mother as a widow. He stands before the judge, and the judge says this. He says, you know what? I'm going to let you slide this time, but this is the fourth time. So I'm going to need you to straighten things up from here on out. We would look at that judge and say, that is not a just judge, or one we would ever want in the place to be judging anything or anyone. It would also turn the whole world into chaos. If you've seen Boondock Saints, it would be like that. Everyone seeks vengeance for themselves. Since there is no God who is just, who's going to judge people justly, then we can just go get vengeance ourselves. It's not the case. So here's the reality. Either Christ bears the wrath for your sin against God, or you bear it for eternity. Those are the options. It says that because of this, look here, verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It it says right before that, this was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What, What it's saying is this, is that it's always been Jesus. If you read the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Messiah to be their righteousness. For us, we look back to the Messiah for our righteousness, not ourselves. How are ways that we try to self justify ourselves? Let's read a list. These are the ways that we take on worldly justification. Remember, worldly justification is declaring our worth and existence through what we do. Godly, biblical justification, the doctrine of justification is God's legal declaration of us as righteous. Here's some things. Parenting. If you justify your existence here on earth, and the thing that defines who you are is being a mom or dad, you will destroy your kids and be destroyed in the process. Why? You will put the success and happiness of your kids as the number one thing that justifies you as an individual. If your child is not happy, they're not being a good child or going in the wrong direction, bam, your world starts to crumble. Or you can go the other direction. On the other side, you pull away from correction because you are justified by being loved by your kids. What about a social standing? That's another way that we self-justify our existence here on this earth. If you live for a social image amongst your peers or community, you will eventually get swept off of your pedestal. If you are justified by what others think of you, and if you have their approval, you are justifying your self-existence by approval. You will then be very unhappy when others don't approve, and you will be lonely because confessing sin and truly being known would be too much of a detriment to your image. What about the self-justification of social justice? If you justify your existence and make yourself right before God and others through social issues of the world, then you will naturally become an arrogant person who lacks mercy on others that don't have the same level of concern or the same level of investment that you do. You will feel superior to others because they aren't doing the same things you are. 
What about the self-justification of being a good old boy? If you justify your existence by being a good person, then you will also be someone who struggles to say sorry or receive correction. Why? Because you justify your existence by trying to prove to the world and yourself that you are a good person because of the way you live your life provide and that you are a faithful and hard worker. Self-justification. What about the serious Christian? Likely these are the ones who will be the most offended here and the ones who justify themselves by believing they take Christianity more serious than anyone else. You compare your life to the others around you and realize that no one seems to be as serious as you are with all of your spiritual disciplines and rules that you're following. You justify your self-existence through your spiritual disciplines and rigorous living, much like the Pharisees did, and become frustrated at the slow process of other, sanct- of other people's sanctification in comparison to your own. These are, church family, we could go on. These are just a few ways that we self-justify ourselves to prove our existence and our worth here in this life. But what's available to us in Christianity is but now an outside justification. In other words, someone else outside of us justifies us and gives us free righteousness. What does that do? It humbles us, but also gives us confidence. Let's reread this starting in verse 21, because I want you to see this now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, look here, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I don't know what you're believing about yourself, but if you've placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God, not a sub-righteousness, not kind of the righteousness of God, but the righteousness of God belongs to you through faith in Jesus. And then it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice here, Notice what we do and what God is doing and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Did you catch that? It's all a work of what God is doing through and through. It's his grace. It's the propitiation that he put forward. It's his son. It's his son's merit. It's everything that his son has done in God's grace, not yours. Pridefully, we don't like that because we want to prove to people around us that we're pretty good people. I do this with almost every argument I'm in with my wife. My first inclination is always to try to self-justify ourselves. There's a guy that wrote a, uh, that, that wrote a lot about a diet that's popular called the carnivore diet. It's a guy that created a supplement line called Heart and Soil. I appreciated his honesty. He wrote in 2019, I think his book, essentially saying that eating carbs is horrible But he had the humility later to say that he was actually wrong on that subject matter. He said, after more science and more research has come out, and I appreciated the humility. What justification on the outside of us does is if we were ever wrong, or even if someone addresses us on something, we can have the humility to receive it because we're not left trying to just self-justify ourselves as a society or as an individual. We can take ownership. We can receive things. We can hear things. Why? Because I have something that I didn't work for. You have something that you didn't work for. We have something that we were both given completely and freely by grace. It doesn't leave room for pride and arrogance and for boasting. The only thing it does is squashes our pride and humbly puts us in a place to go, my goodness, I've been given grace and the righteousness of Christ freely based upon nothing I've done. So then what? Look at verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. 
Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not only the God, or is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify by, uh, justify the circumcised by faith and will, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. As I said before, God is a righteous God who's not going to ever overlook sin. That's a good thing. But here's the beautiful thing in the gospel through faith in what Christ has done. He's also not ever going to overlook his son when he looks at you every moment of every day. He's not going to overlook sin, but he's never going to overlook the righteousness and perfection and beauty of what his son has done and accomplished and given to you. You need to understand this because of the gospel, because of God's work, we have God's full approval, acceptance, and love every moment of every day. Imagine this. You're out soaking in the sunshine somewhere else besides the Pacific Northwest. You're soaking it up, and then, and you guys have experienced this, big cloud comes by and then blocks the sun. The cloud goes away, and then the sun comes, and another cloud comes, and there's almost a cycle. Sadly, many people can start to believe this way about God's love as though our sin or something we do is a cloud that stands in between God's love and us, like the sun. Clouds come along, they block the rays. There is nothing you can do, hear me, nothing you can do to ever block God's direct love for you as his child. It it is not based upon what you do or don't do. That would be in your control and a way you can manipulate God. We don't have that power. God's love comes at us because of what his son has done in our place. Every night, you guys have heard this if you've been a part of our church family, almost every night, my kids can tell you. I tuck him in and I say, why does dad love you? Same answer. Because I'm your son or because I'm your daughter. My love is contingent upon a relational identity, not behavior. Much more with the father's love. So what do we do? Well, we don't stop boasting, but we stop boasting in our own self-justification because but now we have an outside justification and a free righteousness. So what we do is we start boasting in Jesus Christ. In other words, this, it's not enough for you just to hate your sin and wallow in your sin. The Pharisees did that. What the Pharisees didn't do is they didn't boast in Jesus Christ. So what I mean by that is you can spend all of your time wallowing in your sin, hating in your sin, and we should repent and turn from our sin. But what we should do is spend our time boasting in the life that Christ lived on our behalf, the death that he died and the righteousness that he's freely given to us, and that that's our position before God. You see, the Christian spends their life boasting, not in themselves, but in the cross and in Christ and what Christ has done. That's going, to, that's going to reshape the fabric of society. That is going to heal and mend relationships because I'm no longer combating myself with you saying, well, I've done this. Well, I've done this. Well, I'm self-justifying myself here. Well, I've done this. It's squashed. In Christianity, we have the most beautiful identities, a son and daughter of the living God based upon grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It changes things. That's what we boast in. So we spend our time repenting, but we also spend our time boasting, boasting specifically in what Christ has done. Well, people will say, well, if grace is free, then, 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 then there is no motivation for not sinning. Dr. Timothy Kellish says this, if your only motivation for not sinning is fear of punishment, then your, your motivation for not sinning is purely selfish. He says, all, all fear is selfish. You see, if Christ took the punishment for us, then all fear is gone. We no longer fear the wrath of God, the anger of God. It was poured out on Christ. In fact, you can have a true motivation for obedience because now your obedience is not about earning something from God. You have that. It's about actually worshiping God. So what do we do with the law? What do we do with it? Do we, do we get rid of it? Paul says, by no means. And I want to wrap up here today is this. 
the law can show us the problem of our heart, gives us God's commands, shows us how we haven't met them. But by us trying to follow the law to earn our favor to God is complete foolishness. It it can expose the problem, much like an MRI, much like an eye exam. It can show us what's wrong, but it can't heal the heart. Only God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ can do that, period. So what do we do with it? Do we get rid of it? No. What we understand is now we're actually free to obey the law because now we're obeying the law not to try to get something from God, but because we have everything from him. And so let me say this. There is no build-a-bear Christianity, okay? Only parents in the room would understand that. I just went to build-a-bear this last week with my kids. It's a racket. It's expensive. Thankfully, they got a gift certificate for Christmas. But what you do is you go and you pick out a bear. There's a lot of different bears. Then you pick out clothing for your bear. And if you want your bear to say a sound or have a smell and all this sort of stuff, right? That's not the way that Christianity works. You don't get to have your version of build a bear and build a Christianity that I like. You either get Jesus as Savior and King and Lord, or you have no Jesus at all. And so if you're someone who says, man, I love the love of God and I love the grace of God, the love and grace of God compels you to obedience. You don't say, I'm going to keep having sex with my girlfriend. I'm going to keep living this lifestyle. I'm going to continue to do these things because you understand the love and the grace that God has poured out for you. And you say, you know what? I'm going to uphold the law now. And for the first time in my life, I'm not upholding the law maybe so that I can get God to be on my side and love me. I'm going to uphold the law of God because there's nothing that I can do to ever block God's love from me. It's different. That is completely different. And so my encouragement to you this day, four areas, is repent. If there's areas in your life where you're living in sin, repent and trust God. If you trust his love for you and you trust that he's good, then trust that his law is good and he's provided it to show you how you're actually going to have a joyful, meaningful life. Repent and trust. And then I would say confess and trust. Start to confess and share your sin with others so that you can actually see the justification and the righteousness that you have. And others can remind you of that. You see, we will continue to be self-justifiers and self-justify ourselves until we start actually confessing our brokenness and showing that we have a need for the outside justification and the righteousness that Christ has provided. Here's a challenge for our people in the room that like challenges. Take one week and fast from self-justification. In other words, try this. For one week, try to not self-justify yourself. You'll see how hard it is. As soon as someone comes to you and says something, you're like, but, 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 no buts, except for this one. This is a good one, but now, that's a really good one. This week, no self-justification. One week. Try not to do it. And you'll see our heart has a natural inclination to try to put ourselves in the best light for others. We're in the best light before God. We don't need to self-justify ourselves. You're a child. Lastly, I'll say this. Give yourself to deep community and protection. What I mean is this. God didn't I'll say it this way. Christ didn't purchase the church for you to live separated from it. Get invested and involved in community so that you have men and women in your life helping you see the way that you're self-justifying yourself because it's going to exhaust you. It's going to wreak havoc on your marriage and on your relationships and on your parenting. And then let them remind you of the beauty of the true outside justification and free righteousness you have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you that we're not left trying to prove ourselves to this world. Thank you that you have justified us, Father, legally declared us righteous in your sight, and we can't change that. Help us to rest in it in Jesus' name. Amen.